Good morning and welcome to ASL's HR in 10. At 10. I'm Jason Perry. And I'm Kimberly Bradshaw. And we're just going to talk you through the latest issues this week in HR in relation to COVID. Um, as ever, Kimberly, lots still going on. Yes, one lawyer that I was listening to a webinar of this week said that uh, so far we've had 17 legal guidelines just around the furlough scheme just this year. It's yeah. crazy. And the latest one published on Friday evening, which I know yeah. would have been your bedtime reading over the weekend. Oh, absolutely. Um, we talked last week, as I recall, about uh, the redundancy and the need to be careful about contractual and uh, statutory uh, notice periods. That's a big change that's come out, isn't it? It is, yes. And I think it's good that we've got some clearer guidance now from the government. Uh, I wonder if there'll be more around this uh, issue, but for now, we do have a bit more clarity. Yeah, the reading of it now seems to be quite black and white, which makes a rare change in uh, furlough guidance. But that is that if you are um, leaving your employment, if you are on notice that you cannot be on furlough, and that doesn't seem to matter whether it's a redundancy notice, whether or not um, you've been dismissed, or whether or not you've resigned. Yes, I don't really understand why you can't be furloughed. As long as the employer pays the 100% that they're eligible for rather than the 80%, I don't know why we can't do it, but at least, you know, we do have guidelines now and that's what it states. We, we have some clarity. And I think the key clue here, and, you know, you and I may or may not agree with the political thinking, that's a different matter, but I think the key clue here is in the acronym of the CJRS, um, and the R is for retention. It's the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme. And I think the government have uh, kind of latched on to many employers had discovered that they could actually make uh, restructuring decisions and redundancies whilst mm. claiming a government grant and finance part of those costs. Yes, indeed. And and also, I think the slight nuance difference from, from last time is that now there are potentially fewer jobs that are going to be viable going forward. So this really is because of the state of the economy uh, and the impact that coronavirus has had. So I think this will protect employees uh, for longer, potentially. Yes. The interesting one, as I see it, and uh, again, you'll remember back in uh, April, um, the first time, it seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, but the first time round when we had this decision, there was this big thing about how you could rehire somebody who had resigned or you've made redundant and then put them on furlough. Now, I'm fascinated they've done that again. So actually, if you've made a redundancy in recent weeks, you can rehire that person and put them on furlough. But I'm now wondering why an employer would do that. What, what's your take on this, Kimberly? The only thing I can think of is to help the government spread the cost by having um, it go through the employers rather than the um, the benefit system. I, you know, I don't know. And it's not as if those individuals will benefit in any way other than the fact that they will get more than if they were on benefits. Yeah. Um, I, as I see it, one of the big changes, and you know, this is this is really about us helping employers at this point. But if you've made somebody redundant, you can reverse it and bring them back. 
but you need to be fairly sure that you're not going to make them redundant again in February or March when this scheme comes to an end. Because if first time round you used furlough for part of their notice period, if you do that again in April, you're not going to be able to. And therefore, mm. it's going to cost an employer more money to bring someone back from redundancy and then make them redundant a second time. Yes, although they don't need to make the redundancy payment a second time, do they? So if they've only been brought back to go on to furlough in order to be paid more, is it thus that um, they will you know, benefit in, in some other way? As you can tell, I'm a little bit perplexed by this one. Yes, no, likewise. And it's why I thought it was really worth talking about a little bit about today, um, if not a lot about today. Um, (laughs) The the reality is the employee will probably be better off because, what are we talking, November, December, January, February, March, five months of 80% of wages is probably better than their redundancy payment. But, um, and you're right, they pay the redundancy payment back to the employer now, and they'll get the redundancy payment again in April if, God forbid, they get made redundant a second time. But the notice period um, has been paid once already by the furlough um, payment, no doubt topped up by the employer to 100%. But next time round, that's going to have to come entirely out of the employer's pocket, and that's the difference that's the big one for employers to watch for. And is it clear, which I don't think it is, are they then having to just pay the 80% that was paid by the government before or whether they have to pay the 100% again? Well, you have to make the notice period. that 20% twice. Well, I, I think the answer is that's part of what you'd ask them for yeah. back from the worker if you reverse the redundancy now so they'd mm. only get 80%. But when you make them redundant a second time, it would be outside of the furlough scheme and you as the employer would have to pay the notice period in full. So I think we've talked quite a lot about redundancy there and uh, this is HR in 10 and we're six and a half minutes into our 10. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe I know one of the things you were keen to talk a little bit about was testing because this is an interesting one at the moment, isn't it? Yes, I've heard a lot of employers concerned because their employees have refused to be tested and that's not in the um uh, the government scheme of things but it's uh where an employer requires testing you know let's mm. say you were working on strictly which would be my next dream job you couldn't i'm sure you'd uh, be a natural <laughs> the glamour and the sparkles um oh and now i've lost my train of thought so testing yes um whilst the individual as far as i see it has a a privacy uh, issue there and they have the right not to be tested i think there are some industries where it will have to be mandatory because of the risk to the public or to customers or to mm. other staff members and I don't know what you think, Jason, but certainly as far as I'm concerned, if you've got a strong business case for why you need your employees to be tested, then you can go ahead. And if they refuse, then it might sound harsh, but send them home, not on furlough, but for not fulfilling their duties. I totally agree. Um, I think the argument, you, you need to be sure about why you're doing it. But the reality is, if you're doing it, it's because you feel there's a, uh, a reason to do so. People aren't going to be buying these tests lightly for fun. Um, and actually, 
I would have thought this falls down to the health and safety at work legislation. And the mm. reality is your duty as an employer to protect the many outweighs your need to protect the privacy of the few. And I, yes. I think it's a very simple case. You have actually just reminded me of something, actually. Um, one of our clients this week um, shared something with me that I thought was quite interesting. I'd like your opinion on. What, we, we've got two or three clients that are now routinely checking temperatures of people when they arrive at work as just a, you know, it's not quite as enhanced as testing whether or not you've got COVID, but as a basic test to look at where we are. And one of our clients shared with me that they had a couple of members of staff who have declined to have their temperature tested. As an HR person, what would you do, Kimberly? Oh, that's a really horrible one, Jason. It's so tricky. I mean, I suppose the, the circumstances would be the same for what we've just discussed mm. for uh, an employer's right to test and an employee's right not to be. If it's daily and it, you know, could it be an infringement on, on an individual's rights? But at the same time, we do have to balance the duty of care and um, safe, well, safety and well-being of employees. I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, why are they t doing it daily? Why are they doing yeah. it every time somebody comes in? Is there, are they at higher risk because they're involved with the public or something like that yes. that means they have to? If it was just a bog standard office and all preventative measures were in place, what would be the need? I know. Kimberly, HR in 10. We've done um, it again. We have indeed. It's been lovely and we'll do it again next week. Thank you so much for your time. Lovely to see you all. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching.